Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Hello, everyone. Today on the Short Gun Sportsman, I'm interviewing an incredible man named Alex Holman. He has a just a very inspirational story that I'm going to let him tell, and you're really going to love this episode. Do you want to talk about uh, being inspired to to just get out there and go? This is this is one that's going to do it for you. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about a new thing that Handgun Hunters International is doing, and that is to support the new hunters, the people who are being successful in the field with a handgun for the first time. Uh, we have this new sticker that says official handgun hunter on it, along with a certificate that anybody who has their first success with a handgun will get one free of charge. All you got to do is either use the hashtag handgun success when you post a picture on social media, or you can email it to me, ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com, along with the address, and I'll send out this sticker and uh, the certificate. It doesn't have to be for kids, although it is great for kids, but if you're a parent, a friend, uh, a son or daughter of somebody who is just getting into handgun hunting, this is a great way to commemorate their first success. So I'm happy to do this. This is really just what our mission is about at HHI, supporting and growing the handgun hunting community. Okay, I can't say enough about how much you're going to enjoy this episode. It really, really affected me and impacted me and just has made me start questioning a lot of my uh, just paradigms. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Alex Holman. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm very glad to be here, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you just fine. You, uh, we okay, spoke, we, we were introduced by a, an HHI member and we got to meet virtually over the phone last week. And I was just fascinated. The more I learn about you, the more I'm fascinated. So I wonder if we couldn't start by you kind of uh, telling the story of who you are, uh, some of the adversities you've had to overcome, and uh, where you're at, at where you're at now, just so we can get a baseline before we move into all the cool stuff you've done. Okay, sure. I'd be glad to. My name is Alex Holman. I live in Peyton, Oklahoma. I am 38 years old. I am an ordained minister with the Assembly of God, and I was introduced to hunting when I was about six, uh, seven years old. I started shooting when I was about six years old. And so I've been doing it for about 30 years. But what sets me apart now is the fact I was born with cerebral palsy. And how that came about is my mother actually had triplets. I have a triplet brother named Lyle. I have a triplet sister named Michelle. We are one minute apart. And when we were born, we were born very prematurely. We were born about 31 weeks, if I remember right. And what had happened, they did not believe that we would be fully developed because we were so premature. They were afraid that our lungs and other body parts would not be fully functioned and we might not survive. So they gave my mom 
a medicine to slow down the contractions so we would be born later. And when they gave my mom the medicine, uh, the medicine they gave her caused her lungs to fill with fluid and it stopped her bleeding. And unfortunately that happened when I was being born. And when that happened, I did not breathe. And the part of my brain that tells me how to lock my legs died. So I can stand up and I can walk on crutches, but other than that, I have to use a wheelchair. But it has not stopped me from doing what I want to do, and I'm very blessed, and I'm very happy to share my story. So I thank you for the opportunity. Oh, man, I thank you for sharing your story. It's um, I can't tell you how much I've been thinking about our conversation and just the fact of, I mean, I don't mean to overstate it, but just... When I think of adversity, it's a totally different paradigm than what someone like you might think of adversity. And just by your example, by all the things that you've done, by your attitude, I mean, from everything from the fact that you just get out there and do it to your self-deprecating humor about it are all just um, like you're, you're a light for sure. So you told me a story. <laughs> you got to tell the story about your very first. So you said you were introduced at seven. And uh, with your dad, who took you to a secret hunting stand, which I'm not going to divulge the whole story. So I want you to tell the story about your very first hunting experience. So I was introduced to shooting when I was six years old. And the reason I got introduced to shooting is I was raised on a hunting, uh, a cattle ranch. We had a big piece of land and we had a lot of cattle. So I was shooting by the time I was six years old. But my first actual hunting experience is I was seven years old and my dad told me, he said, I'm going to take you to the spot behind our house. And I I said, okay, dad, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to take me, I've never been before. So I'm, I'm excited to go. And he took me to the spot that like I said, it was like maybe 500 yards behind our house. It was a little set of woods. And when he took me to this spot and we got to where the quote unquote deer stand was, <laughs> two things became really obvious. One, it was obviously homemade. Two, it was not made very well. <laughs> if, um, if you want to call it a deer stand, you can, but it was a very big stretch because all my dad had done is he had milled some boards together in the shape of a square. It was a big square platform. It did not have any sides on it. And he milled it together, barely strong enough to survive, it felt like. And he put it 10 feet up in this tree and milled it to the tree. And he put a 10-foot ladder on there so he could get up there. He did not even have any seats up there. All he had for his seats was one of those big, uh, round ice chest and the, the lid that you twist off that was camo mm-hmm. and that that was his seat so obviously he had built this to be a one-man stand so he could sneak off and go hunting because he didn't get to go hunting as much as he wanted to i think that's why he was so excited to actually take me because he knew my mom would not fight him about going hunting if he took me with him so <laughs> i think that was his motivating factor in a way so to speak but it was obvious that this thing was only built for one person but because he knew i was with him he brought a little blue chair that i used at the house to just 
sit in at, at times for balance. So he took that little blue chair up the ladder, put it on the stand next to the tree, and then he came back down and got me and carried me up there. And when, when I first got up there, I said, Dad, do you think this is really safe? I said, I'm not, I'm not worried about the height. The height doesn't bother me, but Dad, this does not feel sturdy at all. And I said, I'm more sturdy on my feet, really, than this thing is. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to fall out of this thing, Dad. There's no sides on it. What if I fall out? He said, Alex, just don't, don't say anything. Just get in the chair. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get in the chair. So I, I got in this little blue chair that was up against this tree that he'd set next to him. And the next thing I know, he comes over and he's tying me up to the tree with bailing wire. He tied me to the chair and then tied the chair to the tree. And he goes, there, now you won't fall out. <laughs> I said, no, no, I won't fall out and I won't be moving much either because I, I can't really do much now. And I said, uh, how, how am I going to shoot with this being tied up like this? He goes, oh, I guess I'll be the shooter today. And that's more and more evidence that my dad was the one that wanted to be hunting that day. Mm -hmm. But anyway, and uh, so I said, uh, dad, where's your rifle? He said, we won't be using a rifle today. I said, okay, what will we be using? And he pulls out this old Thompson Center um, pistol, and it, it wasn't the Encore. It, it was the one that came before the Encore. Oh, the Contender? And, yeah, the Contender. I couldn't think of the word, but it was this old Contender pistol, and it was chambered in 45 long calls, and I believe it had a 10-inch barrel, if I remember right, and it was the old Octagon-style barrel. And so... That was really cool to me. I'm like, I, I've never seen one of these. That's really cool. It'd be, it'd be neat to take one with it. And so he's like, I'll, I'll be using this. And he loads it and he sets it next to him. And he's got a uh, grunt call. And he starts blowing this grunt call. And I'll be honest, it sounded nothing like a deer. I'm like, if I was a deer, I would not be answering that call. <laughs> but I, I did not say anything to him. Because I knew I'd probably get in trouble. But um, he started blowing this call. And then we sit there and we wait about 15 minutes. Well, we start hearing a noise. But the only problem is it's not being made by any type of animal. It's the voice of my mother. Mm. And she is screaming from our house for my dad to get there now. There is an emergency. And my dad looks at me and I, I don't know what that's about, but I, I better go see. And I'm like, okay, nothing's coming anyway. Please untie me. Let's go. And he said, no, no, there's not time for that. You don't understand. I've got to go now. So you're going to stay here and I'll be back for you in a little while. I'm like, okay. And uh, he said, oh. Here's the pistol. If a deer comes by, pull that hammer back, aim at the deer, and kill the deer. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do my best as I'm sitting here tied up in this tree and can barely move, but I, I'll, I'll do my best. So he gets down, and he runs home, and when he gets home, 
my mother informs him that my grandfather has had a stroke mm. and he needs to get to the hospital now. He said, okay, I'll go to the hospital, but you've got to go get Alec. I've left him in a deer stand and you've got to go get him. Here's how to get to the deer stand. My mom says, okay, I'll get him in a little bit. Well, about an hour and a half later, I'm sitting there and I hear my mom coming on a four-wheeler and my mom pulls up to go, Alec, the hunt over it's time to go i said no it's not i'm still hunting please leave and she goes i i i'm serious alex the hunt over it's time to go your grandpa's in the hospital he's had a stroke i said well here's the thing mom i i would love to be obedient but i can't do what you're asking me and my mom looks at me she says what do you mean you can't do what you I'm asking you to do. I said, I really can't. You see, Dad tied me up here, <laughs> and unless, unless somebody can come untie me, I'm gonna be up here for a while. <laughs> and she goes, He tied you up there. I'm like, Yeah, he didn't want me to fall out, so he tied me up here, so I'd I'd be secure. And uh, trust me, Mom, I'm I'm very secure at the moment, <laughs> and so I, I'm not going anywhere. I'll just be here. She goes, okay, I'll be right back. And she leaves and comes back in about 30 minutes with my brother who has a pair of pliers and is able to cut me down and I'm able to go home. Well, that night when I talked to my dad after he got back home from the hospital, he said, so how did it go? Were you scared? Were you afraid? I said, no, I was mad. I said, you left me up there tied up in a tree and then you sent mom to come ruin my hunt. I said, had mom not showed up, I'd have, I'd have had a chance of getting a deer, but mom took care of all that. So I didn't even get a deer out of the deal. And he starts laughing. He says, Alex, don't worry about it. What we'll do is now that I know that you're comfortable, I'll start getting you some uh, more accessible deer stands and locations for you to hunt. And then that way you can enjoy it more. I said, okay. And so that's what he did. And as soon as he started doing that, I began to be successful. And I'll say that what made me successful is the fact I had been given the right tools. It doesn't matter what you have to deal with. If you're given the right tools, anybody can be successful. And that's why, that's where my hunting career really took off is because I had been given the tools to be successful. And that's why over the years, every time I've gone out, I've been more and more and more successful. And the Lord has continued to bless me over the last 30 plus years that I've been doing it. And my greatest passion is speaking for him and, and enjoying my passion of hunting as well. And so that, that's how it all started though, is, me getting tied up in a tree, which it's really funny when you tell the short version of that story to a stranger, because they're like, how did you get into hunting? Well, ma'am, I was about seven years old, and my dad tied me up in a tree <laughs> and left me there for a few hours, and then someone came and cut me down, and I went home. That was it. And they're like, oh, no, you poor child. And I'm like, no, I loved it, and I was ready to do it again. <laughs> so that's, that, that's really funny when you're able to do that. It yes. really makes them question what you're doing. Right. Oh my gosh. That's such a good story. So it's funny, you know, your very first handgun, excuse me, your very first hunt, though unsuccessful was technically a handgun hunt. And then after that, you moved on to, like you said, your dad set you up uh, more appropriately for 
uh, your situation and you, you used a rifle for uh, many years, correct? Uh, I used the rifle from the time I was seven up until 2019 is when I first started using a pistol. And the, the only reason I didn't use the pistol before was because, like I was saying before, I didn't have the right equipment. Mm-hmm. And I, I had the equipment to set up for a rifle, but I did not have the strength in my hands or whatever I needed to do, the, the balance, I should say to control the pistol, and there was no way to do a proper rest that I could use, that I could pull the wheelchair up on, that I could use effectively. So Mm -hmm. even though I wanted to do a pistol, and I'd always been interested in doing it, and a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that that was my first hunt, and I always wanted to take something with a pistol, but I never could because I wasn't set up for it. So... It wasn't until 2019 that I finally was able to get something that would work for me to be able to start using a handgun. And and I haven't used it. How, I haven't used the rifle since. Yeah. So how did that come about? That the the transition from rifle to handgun for you? Well, that was during my fourth trip to South Africa. That it was in 2019. I had gone to South Africa in 2014, 15, 16, and uh, 18. And I was with my best friend, Casey Roberts, and I know he's going to be listening to this. And so I will say, yes, I still blame you for getting me into handgun hunting. It is your (laughs) fault, and you're never going to get away with telling me it's not. Good. So... I, I had known Casey since 2004, and he has been my best friend and also a cameraman on, I'd say, 95% of my hunting trips since then. But this was his first trip with me to Africa. He hadn't been able to go on the others with me due to scheduling and family uh, obligations. And so this was the, the first time he was able to go with me. And Casey has always been a big-time handgun hunter. He's actually the person that introduced me to the group. And uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about it. And when we went, he brought his rifle that his dad had. And he also brought his forty-four uh, mag handgun. And he was able to take a Impala and a blessed buck and a I think he did a diker or a steam buck. I, I can't remember but he, he he took several animals with the pistol. And we were talking, I said, Man, I, I'd love to get involved. I've always wanted to do that. You know that we've talked about it, but I've always wanted to do it. And uh only thing stopping me is I don't have the right equipment. He goes, No. We're not going to accept that anymore. We're going to find you a way to get into handgun hunting. When we get home, we're going to call around and we're going to find you the equipment you need so you can do this too. Because for me, that was really the best part of the trip is not only getting to share it with him, but getting to see him take the the animals with the pistol. I thought that was cool. Now, I will... I will tell you, the African people did not think it was cool. Huh. Um, they called the pistol 
Sadikiti. And we asked him what Sadikiti meant. And he said it means slingshot. <laughs> because every time you shoot with that thing, you're throwing a trail up in the air and you might as well be using a slingshot. So they, they all got mad when he said, <laughs> I want to use the Dikiti. And they're like, no, no more Dikiti. We're tired of the Dikiti. Go back to your rifle. But, uh, <laughs> So they, they weren't too thrilled, but for me, that was that was super cool. And so when we got back, we got back September of 2018, and I started uh, looking around, and I, I called Marty Ebbinghaus because I had been using the Thompson Center Encore mm-hmm. for many, many years, and I built some custom Encore rifles with Marty, and I said, Marty, Here's what I want to do. I want to get into handgun hunting, but here's my situation. Do you have anything that could help me overcome that? And he said, "I, you know, I believe we do. They just came out with a death grip, and it, it, it's a tripod that would allow you to grip the gun properly and still pull up in your wheelchair the way you'd be comfortable. And he said, there's a part of the pistol now, a stock, but he said there's a, there's a stock called a pressure loop. And I think if you put that on there on your pistol, it would work better for you than the traditional stuff. I said, okay, let's try it. I'm, I'm all for trying anything, and if it didn't work, we'll just go back to the drawing board. And so he brought me one that was already complete, and he put it in this death grip, and I was able to uh, use it really well. In fact, I was more comfortable with it than I was the rifle. It just is so much easier for my my setup and my situation. And so after we knew it would work, I had Marty build me a 44 mag to start with, which not very many people, the first handgun they ever shoot the 44 mag. I mean, you just, <laughs> but I thought, you know what? Go big or go home. So <laughs> that, that's what I ended up doing. And, after that, I built a another 44 mag that was silenced, and then I built a uh, 454 Kazool, and then I had a 460, and now my newest one that I'm so excited about is the 458 locked. Bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. It's so much fun to shoot. I bet. So, do you always use the crusher loop? I, I do only because that that works best for the system that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives me it gives me more control, and I'm I'm also left-handed. Oh, and uh, so the traditional stuff is a little bit hard for me to use, even though it uh, can be ambidextrous, um, because they make these cushion loops specifically for left or right-handed. Mm-hmm. It's just a more natural feel to me than, than the traditional stuff. And it, it actually makes it feel more like a rifle than a pistol stock. Okay. But it, it, it's a lot more comfortable. Sure. Well, first of all, awesome. Like, I love your your attitude about just, I'm going to figure out a way to overcome this. Second of all, I'm, I'm curious, uh, having never seen your, um, your setup, like when you're in position to shoot, how does that, how does it work? Obviously, you know, you you sit in your wheelchair and you, you get up to the tripod and you use your left hand on the pistol grip and then your right hand stabilizes with the rear of the crusher loop. Like, like, 
it's designed, I guess, to do? Well, actually, well, first of all, I would say it depends on which gun I'm shooting because uh-huh. when you go from a when you go from a 44 mag to a 458 lot, there's a whole lot more recoil. <laughs> yeah, right. And so if I'm shooting the 44 mag, then what I'll do is I'll pull up to the tripod and I'll put my left hand on the gun to stabilize it in the tripod. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put my right hand on the tripod. And a lot of times I can shoot the gun one-handed and I just hold on to the tripod for extra balance. Mm-hmm. But it, it works out really well. Um, my my first ever shot with a handgun, I shot a wild dog that was chasing a deer, and it was 60 yards down, and my dad goes, I don't think you can hit it from here. And I was using the 44 mag. I said, well, I don't know if I can either, but I'm going to definitely try. And I ended up rolling that thing at 60 yards. So, wow. But, First handgun shot, I was I was very pleased, and since then, I've taken probably seven deer, and um, a bear, and uh, that's I think that's all I've done with the handgun so far is deer and bear. Did you which handgun did you use for the bear? Silence forty four mag with oh, okay. a ten inch barrel. Okay. So can you tell me what is your what is your shooting practice process look like? Well, I always want to spend as little time at the range as I can mm. because number one, ammo is too high mm-hmm. and it's too hard to come by. So I I try and um use as few shots as possible. Mm-hmm. But what I'll do is if I know if I know the gun is almost on, I'll do a couple shots and then and then we'll adjust it. But I try and be in position and ready to shoot within about eight to ten seconds. Mm. And, and the the reason I do that is because in Africa, they tell you when you see an animal, whether you're in a in a blind or whatever you're doing, you have about eight to ten seconds before that animal will shoot. And so I knew if I could be under that, then I could be successful. So, and and when you do it for so long, even though I've only done it for a few years with a a pistol, a lot of it becomes muscle memory. Mm -hmm. It it really does. So the, the main thing I have to worry about is, especially if I'm shooting the bigger calibers, is the eye relief. Mm -hmm. But, uh, one thing that has helped me too, the the scope I use, which is a a Burris pistol scope, uh, two to seven by thirty two, mm-hmm. uh, it's got almost thirteen inch eye relief. Right. So you don't have to be very far on the gun to be able to see what you're doing. You can be a long ways back and still have a clear vision of what you're doing. So it, it makes it a whole lot easier. Right. So do you practice, do you do, do um, like dry fire practice or anything like that? You know, I never have. Huh. And, and the, I think the one reason I never did is because using the encore system, uh, you only had one shot. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I knew if I fired my one shot, the gun was safe. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's a great way to teach 
kids and stuff that are a little bit jumpy when they first start out mm-hmm. is always make sure your gun's unloaded is a, another deal. They don't have to worry about their gun being unloaded if you're using a single shot. Right. And they have to be very confident and very aware that they only have one shot, so they're going to make that one shot count. Yes. No, I totally agree. All, all my kids, um, they their first hunting gun is a contender. So I'm with you on that one. I think it's interesting, you know, because one of the things that we talk about as handgun hunters and myself especially is the need for for lots of practice to become proficient at it. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. As a matter of fact, my philosophy is always, always, always do what works for you. And I would never presume to tell somebody, as long as they're using a... um, ethical and legal method, I would never presume to tell anybody that their method is wrong if it's working for them. But I, I also think, you know, you're a good example of mind over over matter in that you have you have learned I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've learned such extreme control of your your will, meaning you're going to will yourself to do this, that perhaps you have kind of a, I don't know, a superpower for lack of a better word to just be able to, um, yeah, exactly. Right. That is a better word. And, uh, so I just, I just think that's interesting. You know, I'm sitting over here, um, perfectly healthy and I fret about how much practice I can get in. And, and I just think it's cool that you, your confidence has enabled you to overcome a lot and that's just a great a great lesson for all of us. I, I will say this too. If you are planning on going on a hunt, you need to put in more practice than you normally would. Mm-hmm. I recommend for people, if I'm going on a hunt, I will practice probably at least two or three times at the range. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it like I'll do it like once a week if I can. A lot of times I don't have the time I would want to put into it. But again, it all, it all depends on a couple things. How you, how you score your guns really makes a difference on how they uh, stay on target and what, what you're willing to put in as far as building them the right way can also go a long way. Mm. You know, if you skip on building them, they're not going to last as long as they normally would. But if you put in the money and the effort, they can last a long time. But yeah, it. I didn't get that way overnight. You you right. have to put in the effort. But the more you do it, the more years you put in doing it, you become more and more confident, and you you know, okay, this is what works for me. Don't change it. Don't mess with it. And just go with it. And if it stops working, then go back to the drawing board mm-hmm. and start over. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And I I imagine, do you have more than one frame? Do you, Whenever you have a gun, do you build it from the frame up or do you change barrels? No, I, I build it from the frame up. Okay. Because a, a lot of my custom stuff would also be Cerakoted. Mm-hmm. And when you do Cerakote, then uh, you don't really want to change it to a different barrel because it doesn't look right if, not, if it doesn't all match. Right. So, back again, my friend Casey Roberts always gets on to me. He goes, you know you can change the barrel on those. You don't have to start from the frame up. I'm like, if I'm going to build it 
the way I want to. I'll build it the way I want to. <laughs> I, I'll always be like, you know, since they've gone out of business, it's hard hard to find friends. And yeah. I'd be like, I need to get another frame. He goes, Oh no, you're gonna have to change the barrel. I said, No, we're not. We're not to that point yet. I can, <laughs> I can find another frame. That's funny. So, do um, do you have a certain way that you like your triggers set up or or do you just shoot them as they come from the factory uh no do not shoot them the way they come from the factory because <laughs> a lot of them will have a very stiff trigger yeah um i think my rifle when i was using a rifle i from the factory and had like a eight pound trigger on it i mean it was ridiculous mm-hmm. and a lot a lot of your pistols and stuff that i've seen will have at least a six pound trigger on them and, and that's that's too heavy so for all my pistols and, and my rifles i have custom triggers and the rifles are set at three and a half pounds and the pistols are set at two and a half okay and i know that's really light but it also teaches you if you're not fully ready to commit to the shot shot that you're about to take don't even get on the gun yeah right because you pull that trigger and it's going off. Yeah, that's and true. It, yeah, you just teach people that way to not to not put their finger on the trigger at all. I mean, we learn that as kids, but you also need to remind some adults because e- even me, I'll, I'll catch myself putting my finger on the trigger. I'm like, I, I can't do that until I'm ready to shoot. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's going to be bad. And right. so it, it's just a easy reminder of always be safe because if you do something wrong in just a minute it's going to go off very true very true so i wanted to ask you 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 said something that caught my ear when we spoke last week about crawling up a mountain to get your bear can you tell me that story um when when i was bear hunting this lifetime uh, in New Mexico, we were using dogs, and they treed this bear, but it was in a spot that I could barely get to. So uh, my guide had told me that morning. He said, "I I don't feel so good. I he actually said I I think I might have COVID." And I'm sitting there in this little bitty truck with him. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh great, he thinks he has COVID, and I'm supposed to be." breathing on him together and do it and we're in close quarters i'm like I, i'm not gonna leave here with the bear and i'm i'm gonna leave here with COVID as my only trophy <laughs> <laughs> and so he said oh don't worry i'll i'll carry you up the mountain and he starts carrying me on his back and, and we get about halfway up and he's like i i can't kill you anymore you're gonna have to go a little bit so i i get on my knees and i i start crawling and uh he ends up carrying me some of the way but i mean i crawled for probably 15 20 minutes up this up this mountain trying to get to this bear and uh then we get back to where i'm gonna shoot the bear and i said do you see a problem here and he goes no the bear's right there what's the problem i said where's my gun he said oh i left your gun in the truck I'm like, well, well I'm going to need the gun in order to shoot the bear. So 
I had to sit. I had to sit there on the ground because I'm on my knees. So I had to sit there, 30 yards from this bear, looking at him in the tree, going, "I hope you stay up there because I, I can't do anything until he gets back with the gun." And this this bear's wanting to come down the tree, but he's scared of the dogs. So I'm like, "I I hope he stays up there because I'm not going to be able to run away if he comes down that tree." <laughs> so, but. Uh, Thankfully, he got back with the tripod and, and got back with the gun, and I was able to shoot the bear. But, yeah, that was a that was a very interesting time, having to crawl through the, the weeds and the trees and stuff. Because when, when you're walking, it's easy for you to step over stuff because you have shoes on. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my hands and stuff, they don't have anything on them. So every, every stick, every sticker... I mean, I probably looked like a pin cushion because I had so many stickers in my feet. I had stickers on my legs. I had stickers on my hands. Oh my so I'm sitting there going, this, this is not, not the way it should be. But you know what? Like I told you before, you have to adapt to a situation. The situation will never adapt to you. You have to adapt to a situation. And I, I've had to learn that more than most people because my situation was, never normal to begin with but you know i thank god and and i'll I'll tell you this real quick um i was actually looking back on everything i had done over the last 30 years and i said god thank you for what you've allowed me to do thank you for all you've allowed me to accomplish i said why have you blessed me so much there's nothing more about me than there is other people. Why did you choose to bless me? And then he brought me back and he said, Alex, when you were born, the devil did not want you to live. He tried to kill you before you ever took your first breath. But he said, I was not going to allow that to happen. I did not allow you to die. So because the devil could not kill you, he thought he would bind you up. He thought he would bind the spirit that I put in you up. But he said, I saw the potential in you. I saw the plans that I had for you. And I wanted to use it for my glory. So I came along. And when you let me in your life, uh, honestly, that was when I was six years old, too. He said, when you let me in your life, he said, I cut you loose spiritually. And he said, I begin to set you free. And he said, I begin to bless you and I begin to give you success so that you could have a voice for other people to say, look, you may not have it very easy. You may have a disability, but nothing is impossible with God. If you'll put God first and you'll make him the Lord of your life, it doesn't matter what you want to accomplish. He'll help you accomplish it, whether it's in the hunting woods, whether it's in life in general. God will always be with you, and he will always make a way where there seems to be no way. He said, I will make a way in the desert. I will give you a place to drink, a place of sanctuary. And that, and that's what he's done over the last 30 years. It blows my mind what he's allowed me to do. But I will tell this to anybody listening. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You may have a disability, but that does not stop you from wanting to have a dream and reaching your dream. Handicap is only a title, and it shouldn't be. That's a title that somebody else gives us. Because you have a disability does not mean you're handicapped. You are capable 
or doing anything you want to do, and he will make a way for you. You know, as the individual bearer of that title, you are the one that gets to say, okay, how handicapped am I going to be? I may have a disability, but I'm not going to let it stop me. At the end of the day, I do the same thing anybody else can do. I just do it differently. But you don't have to let your disability be used as an excuse. And that's one thing I've tried to do is live my life without excuse. I don't need to sit there and go, poor me, woe is me, because I can't do this, I'm not going to do anything. That's not what God called us to do. If you've got a dream and you want to go hunt, go hunt. If you've got a dream and you want to go do something else, go do something else. But whatever your dream is, don't stop reaching for your dream just because you think it's out of reach. It may take you several years like it took me to learn to use a handgun. But when the time is right, God will open the door. Don't give up. And you are living proof of all you just said. That's amazing. I try to be. Yeah. Well, from my perspective, it's uh, success. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful stuff for sure. So, man, I know that uh, you can't be stopped, Alex. So what is this... (laughs) What is the steamroller of Alex hunting going to be doing next? What's your next adventure? Uh, my next adventure will be actually uh, about a little more than two weeks. I will be actually going to uh, Gatesville, Texas, and I will be hunting a Watusi. And for anybody that does not know what a Watusi is, it is a giant type of African bull. And his horns will be about eight feet wide. And they tell me he'll weigh like anywhere from 1,800 to 2,400 pounds. And they're, they're thinking he'll weigh probably 2,300, 2,400, somewhere in there. I don't know for sure, mm-hmm. but this will be the first time I've ever got to use my 458 lot on a live target. So I'm very excited about that. And then after that, um, I want to try and start planning my next trip to Africa if everything goes well. I don't know when that will take place, but when I go back to Africa, my goal is to do uh, at least Cape Buffalo or Hippo with a pistol, and then I want to do Golden Wildebeest and possibly Hyena as well. I don't know if I'll do more than that, but those, those are my overall goals when I go back to Africa. I want to uh, be able to take a hippo probably over the buffalo but I'll, I'll do whatever's available first and mm-hmm. whatever they think best but that's actually why I built the 458 lot pistol was to do the buffalo and the, the hippo mm-hmm. when I went back to Africa uh, gotcha gotcha well that sounds like but I'm always, yeah. I'm always planning yeah I bet it sounds like you are it sounds like you're you're always thinking ahead and thinking what the what the next thing is going to be. And, uh, yeah. Wow. I'm always thinking about my next step, even though I never take a step. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, it, it just just in the brief time that I've known you, I, uh, I would love to, like, watch you do stand-up or, or read a book of, of jokes that you've written because you have the best ones. <laughs> really? You, you want me to do stand-up? Oh, yeah. Oh, you got me. 
<laughs> man, I walked yeah, right. I, I would love to do that too, personally. I really would, but the, the mind is willing, but the body is weak. I mean, <laughs> man, I walked right into that one. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I, I always tell people, I, I say, you know God has a sense of humor because my last name's Holman, but only happily works. <laughs> so... It's like, you know, God himself has a sense of humor. So if you can't laugh at yourself, then your life is going to be pretty sad. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself or you better not ever laugh at somebody else. But God, God intends for us to have a sense of humor. And oh, if yeah. you don't, it's going to drag you down for the rest of your life. Yeah. You've got to be willing to have fun with it. Yeah, that's so true. And what, yeah, what a good example. Well, Alex, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to do this, sharing your story, sharing oh, your philosophy. I just, I mean, it's awesome. And I hope someday we get to meet in person and, and maybe even hunt together because it just sounds like you're, you're just so much fun to, to, to discourse with and probably to be around. So yeah. Anyway, thanks again so much for doing this. And uh, maybe we'll do a part two, especially after your Watusi or your Africa, your Africa hunt. And yeah, can... I, I would, I will definitely keep you up to date and I would love to set something up with you to hunt with you at some point. Just uh, let me know what you'd want to do and we'll do our best to make it work. I think that'd be a blast. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. You too, sir. You have a blessed day. I appreciate the chance. Bye-bye. Well, after listening to that, if you aren't glad there are people like Alex Holman in the world, there's something wrong with you. That is just, uh, we've spoken a couple of times, and he has sent me pictures of his incredible uh, trophies in his in his house of all the game he's taken and just talk about a guy who just doesn't let anything stop him and like I mentioned in the intro uh, you just makes you think about the things that you let stop you and if you had to confront some of the disability that that Alex had how would you handle it and to a degree we all have something like that to confront I know that I do and it's just given me a new perspective and a new desire and inspiration to to just overcome and put one foot in front of the other and not let anything stop me doing what I was put on this earth to do. And I hope it had a similar effect on you. So anyway, thanks for listening today. And uh, we're going to have another good, good one for you soon. And I really appreciate all of your support. Have a good one. Good hunting. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. God bless and good hunting. Good hunting.